0: Welcome to Recover Strong, a show that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. I'm Jessica Flint, founder of Recovery Warriors, and you are listening to our podcast channel created specifically for you in all the stages and phases of recovery. I want to celebrate you for carving out this special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started.
1: I'm your host, Andrea Wells. And just like you, I understand what it's like to live with an eating disorder and be held back by body image struggles. The recovery journey is ongoing, and we're all in it together as we learn to embrace new behaviors and new thoughts day by day. Join me as I connect with eating disorder experts and thought leaders to give you the tools, resources, and strategies you need to recover strong. Today, we're exploring the topic of weight loss injections and what their rising popularity means for your recovery journey. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to talk body image. If your body image struggles are holding you back from deeper intimacy, connection, and confidence, Beyond Body may be just what you need. Beyond Body is an upcoming six-month body image accelerator program that is designed for middle-aged professional women who want to find peace with their body and experience greater life fulfillment. So if you're thinking this sounds like you, request an invite to apply for Beyond Body at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Today, we are going to dive deep into the world of weight loss injections. We're talking Ozempic, Wagovi, Manjaro, and all semiglutides. Their increasing popularity is changing the landscape of recovery and diet culture and raising a lot of questions like how do they work? Are they safe? Can people in recovery use them? Should they use them? So, we'll be covering this and more to help you become better informed and find the best path for your journey. And I'm joined today by registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, Vinci Choi, to discuss these weight loss injections. And Vinci can offer a unique perspective on this subject because she once left behind a career in the field of medical weight loss interventions to become a weight-inclusive registered dietitian. And she now runs her own nutrition practice where she works with clients to help them reclaim their food and body stories from the notion that you have to lose weight to be healthy. Vinci is also the founder of an organization called Weight Inclusive Dietitians in Canada, which is a thriving community of dietitians, dietetic interns, and students with a shared goal of equitable access to care for all people and bodies. And she's the author of the Mindful Eating Workbook, Simple Mindfulness Practices to Nurture a Healthy Relationship with Food. Vinci's approach to nutrition care is informed by anti-oppression, social justice, health at every size, and trauma-informed care concepts. I'm so excited for you to listen in as Vinci and I discuss her work and explore the world of weight loss injections to help you better navigate recovery in a changing landscape due to their emerging popularity. So welcome, Vinci. I've been a fan of yours for years. I'm
2: so excited to have you here. Welcome. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Andrea. I'm really excited to be here.
1: So to start things off, can you go over your experience with working with people who struggle with food and body issues? Sure.
2: I would say like in my practice because I'm in private practice I do see a range of people with different kind of food and body image issues. I would say I see more people who are who have what are what's considered more quote unquote disordered eating as opposed to like an eating disorder diagnosis and I also see people who have a history of an eating disorder as well as people who have an active eating disorder and are in recovery.
1: What inspired you to leave behind the world of working in medical weight loss interventions and embrace a weight inclusive and haze informed approach in private practice?
2: So I'm like, this is a long story. So like oh, go for it. in. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um so I think started back in, I would say maybe 2016, my husband and I, we would, you know, go on long Road trips to like visit family or just to go on vacation. And we would listen to a lot of podcasts. And one of the podcasts, or I think one time I was like, are there any, you know, dietitian hosted podcasts out there? And at the time, I think one that stood out was the food psych podcast with Christy Harrison, which was very well known in this space, I think. And so I decided to listen to it. And I think it was probably one of the episodes with Evelyn Tribolei like the author of intuitive eating and they were talking about body positivity and how it wasn't about weight loss which i think sort of surprised me because i was i was like well i was even though i worked in at a bariatric clinic surgery or a bariatric surgery clinic Wasn't, you know, putting people on diets. I really thought it was about health. And so it was like, well, can you be body positive and still like want to lose weight? And it just took me down this like rabbit hole of like learning more about body positivity and then in turn health at every size. And I think while working at a bariatric surgery clinic, I tried to make it work so that it wasn't about weight loss and more about change. Like, try to position myself as a, a surgical dietitian, essentially. So, you know, my job before a surgery was to make sure that you're well nourished going into the surgery. And then after the surgery, it would be like, well, how do we make sure that you're still nourishing yourself, especially since your needs are increased after surgery and the surgery works in a way that limits your ability to eat? And so... I think it was like maybe a few months of that or maybe even up to a year of that where it was sort of like trying to straddle like the two spaces. And at one point there was a very big website that came out with this blog post that was written by someone who was doing a similar thing. They were working at a bariatric surgery clinic and trying to you know, straddle the two worlds. And granted, I think the way that it was written was very stigmatizing toward fat people. And so that blog post got a lot of pushback and some of the comments were things like I could never trust a dietitian who was working in bariatric surgery and claimed to be body positive or health at every size aligned. I or like like the weight loss industry is making money off of like oppressing fat people. And so that, and so those comments were really a wake up call for me that, you know, I, I couldn't balance both or at least, and and I think there were other issues with the clinic at the time as well. And so that's what really kind of pushed me to leave the clinic altogether, even though for a long time, I think I was trying to do both.
1: Yeah. It sounds like you had an unfolding of an awakening to another side. And I relate to that even as someone in recovery. Like I had a position where I was like, yeah, I can love my body and I want to lose weight. Like, sh- can't we have both? And then and as you learn more, it's like, oh, it doesn't exactly work that way. Now let's get into the weight loss injections. So what are the medical weight loss injections? We know there's like Ozempic, Wagovi, Manjaro, they all have there's different names, different brands. What are they and why are they becoming so popular?
2: So yeah, so these like so-called like weight loss injections are part of a class of medications called GLP-1 receptor agonists. So long story short, they were originally developed to be diabetes medications. So GLP-1 stands for glucagon-like peptide 1. And it's basically a hormone that naturally exists in our body that helps to increase insulin Production and the release of insulin and decreasing glucagon. So, both of these things help to lower our blood sugar and it also slows stomach emptying. And so, so. Because that there are also GLP-1 receptors, not only in our digestive system, but also in our brain, they found that like it affects appetite and our brain's reward system and therefore leads to weight loss. And so what ended up happening was that even though these medications were originally developed for diabetes they've sort of been repackaged repackaged and marketed to emphasize this side effect of weight loss and changing our appetite. And I think it's becoming popular because of the way that it's been marketed. Like even within medical circles, like they talk about semaglutide, so Ozempic and Wagovi in particular as like a miracle drug or like decreasing food noise. So I think That's why it's becoming so popular. Yeah, I watched
1: like New Year's Eve, a New Year's Eve special on New Year's Eve, and they're kind of going over like the top things of the year. And it's like one of them was like Ozempic, and they're like celebrating it, like it's this great thing. And then I saw another one after the New Year that was like good things that happened in 2023. And it's like, oh, the rise of Ozempic and weight loss like interventions and injections isn't this so great? Like this is good news, and it's just so interesting, like the culture around that. But let's get into how these work and particularly what are their short-term and long-term effects. Okay,
2: so yeah, so basically like it helps to reduce blood sugar through increasing insulin and decreasing glucagon, but also slows stomach emptying. So it so when, you know, there's still food sitting in our stomach and not being emptied into the rest of the digestive system, it keeps us feeling fuller for longer. And also like reduces the amount that we eat, obviously. But there are also receptors in the brain shown that it has an effect on like parts of our brain that regulate appetite and regulate like the reward that we feel from food. So I think that's probably where this idea of like reducing food noise comes from. So those are kind of like the short-term effects. We see that because it acts on the GI. GI side effects like nausea, vomiting, or constipation or just like stomach upset are very common and so that's the reason why like a lot of people end up stopping the medication or can't tolerate it. In terms of long-term effects, that's like the million dollar question, right? Like though so the longest trial for semaglutide, which is Ozempic and Wagovi, it has only been 40 months, so just over 3 years. So we don't really know like what the long long term effects are because like the longest trial we have is just over 3 years so in a way like some of these people who are being on these medications for a longer time like they are the guinea pigs for the rest of us okay okay so 40 months is our longest
1: study definitely not decades into the future. You're so right. People are going to be guinea pigs. We'll see what happens. And in terms of long-term weight management, how sustainable is the use of these injections?
2: Well, what we know, at least from the data that we have, is that like in order to maintain the weight loss, like you need to stay on the medication. Like, so there is no, yeah, like the studies show that as long as you, as soon as you come off of the medication, you are regaining the weight and even in some of the long t- longer term trials we're starting to see that it's not that you're losing weight forever that the weight eventually does plateau and even starts to come up even while you are on the medication so yeah like i think that's the tricky thing is that if you want to lose weight and maintain whatever amount of weight you end up losing you have to stay on the medication essentially for the rest of your life. But we don't know what that looks like. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) that'll look into
1: the long term, right?
2: Yeah. Okay, interesting. And
1: what impact has the popularity of these injections had on the work that you do with a weight-inclusive
2: dietitian? Like, do you have
1: people asking you about them, talking about them? How's that affecting your work?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I don't, I have not seen it as much with like the people that I directly work with, just the way that, you know, the chips have fallen. And I know has come up for a lot of folks, or i've had I've definitely had clients who've been offered it. I've definitely had clients who are on them. And I think similar to other other medications or even bariatric surgery, we don't know like how someone is going to do on them. I think there are some people who, you know, do fine and, and there are also so many other people who have all the side effects and like can't go more than the minimum dose if that, or like discontinue because the side effects are just too unbearable. like it's not worth it. and uh, and also just being offered it without talking about, you know, what they were in to see the doctor for, right? Like as soon as the doctor sees a larger body in the room, they're like, oh, like, have you heard of Ozempic or have you heard of Wagovi? And, and it's, you know, and like these medications are on shortage and we don't really know like when they are going to be more available because the demand is so high.
1: And my understanding is that like for diabetes, it is An an effective treatment, and it's like it's affecting people Mm -hmm. who actually need it for their diabetes to get access to it, which is just shows the power of diet culture. I think that people want this so called miracle Mm -hmm. drug so badly,
2: Mm -hmm. right? And there's you know the statistic that like this very wealthy zip code in New York is like the one zip code that is like getting the most prescriptions per capita for ozempic
1: wow i did not know that that says a lot right there i think (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so there has been some talk of some people using this using these injections or being prescribed these injections like to treat binge eating what is your take on that i find it
2: is like i find it so upsetting i think it's similar to I think it's similar to the use of, say, like Vivance for treating binge eating disorder. I think on one hand, like, yes, it is upsetting. And like, if that is what is helping that person, sure. Like, I'm also, you know, like, it's not my place to judge, like, what is working for someone. And I think what's so tricky is that a lot of the times... We know that binge eating disorder is more often than not a response to restriction of some kind. And so often it's, you know, trying to find where and what the restriction is. And when we are able to address the restriction that is happening, often the binge eating gets addressed as well. But I think what these medications like Vyvanse and now kind of the growing popularity of using GLP-1s, like it places the problem with the person, you know, kind of reinforces this message that like, you are the one who's out of control. It's not normal for you to be hungry and, or it's not normal to want to eat like a certain amount of food or this sort of food. And so feeds into that narrative when that's not necessarily the issue. Can someone in eating disorder recovery
1: take these injections and still pursue recovery?
2: I don't want to be one to like gatekeep recovery and say no, right? Like, I mean, the obvious example is like if someone has type 2 diabetes and has an eating disorder, if this is what like helps them manage their blood sugars, then absolutely they can, you know, have you know be using the GLP one to help manage their blood sugars and also be in recovery. And and same idea, like with binge eating disorder. I don't want to say, oh, like you're taking this for binge eating disorder, then no, like you can't recover. Like, you know, maybe that is part of it, and maybe the path is going to be more difficult or less straightforward.
1: What do you think might be a more effective or proven approach to treating binge eating or any eating disorder?
2: I mean, I think it really depends on the individual. Like I think with, well, with binge eating disorder and with really all the eating disorders, there is often an element of like restriction. So I think it's really addressing the root of like the restriction, like what is causing that restriction to happen and how can we address that and work through that? Because often from there is where kind of the recovery will take place. So, is there something specific
1: that people in recovery can do instead of pursuing these medications?
2: I think working with providers who like are trained in eating disorders and also ideally like come from a I don't know if I want necessarily say like just weight inclusive, but like, but come from like an approach that's like informed by, you know, anti-oppression and social justice. And, and I think it's more about, having all the options available rather than it being like medication versus no medication. It's like, okay, like this is what it could potentially look like if we are pursuing the medication. This is what it's going to potentially look like if we pursue other things. But I think, yeah, like someone who does have that specialization in eating disorders and having access to a team, although I also know that's, not available to everyone so yeah like there are so many like ideals and it's also tricky when yeah that's not necessarily accessible whether it's like who what kind of providers are in your area what your insurance covers like there's yeah there's lots of reasons why people pursue the type of recovery that they end up pursuing and I don't think there's right or wrong like it might be more difficult but
1: yeah everyone has different access and we're always saying here on the podcast channel that recovery is not one size fits all it's different for everyone and mm-hmm. going back to the topic of the injections and the semiglutides how do you see those like supporting or challenging body liberation movements or weight inclusive movements
2: mm-hmm You know, it's so funny, because like, that's one of the headlines that we've been seeing a lot, right? Like, is what like is ozempic, like, you know, the end of body positivity or something like that. And it's like, no, (laughs) like, I think we will always need, um, unfortunately, like, body liberation, like, because we know that it's probably not going to be permanent. And like, People, unfortunately, are still going to dislike their bodies or be sold the idea that, you know, we should be disliking our bodies or that our bodies are not good enough. Yeah, I think it's just another thing out of all the things that tell us, like, how our bodies should be. don't think it's, quote unquote, end of body positivity that people... That like Fox News <laughs> like, thinks it is, because it's it's like not everybody is going to experience weight loss, and even if they did, like um, that, unfortunately, that's not the only way that bodies are being oppressed in the society that we live in. Absolutely, and that headline comes with the assumption that we know
1: what the future is going to look like with these medications. And the reality is we don't. We don't Mm -hmm. know the long-term effects. We don't know if they're going to be pulled off the market like nearly every single weight loss medication has happened to in the past. So stay tuned. No certainties Mm -hmm. in the headlines here. (laughs) Yeah. And what would you say these injections, like what should people take into account when it comes to the potential impact on mental health and well-being in addition to these physical side effects that can happen?
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I think like the physical parts like already have such an effect on mental health, right? Like I think my skeptical side sort of feels like part, I think part of like the weight loss, unfortunately for some people comes from the fact that they're feeling miserable all the time, right? Like if you're feeling nauseated all the time, then you're not going to eat. And so it makes me so upset that, you know, we're sort of selling this belief that it's worth it, that like, if you're one of those people who, that like, sure, you feel miserable, but like you're losing weight, like weight loss at all costs. So it just kind of reinforces that message that like, Feeling nauseated all the time is better than being fat. And like on top of that, like, yeah, there's definitely like knowing that there are GLP-1 receptors in the brain that these drugs are acting on, like, yes, it like affects our like food noise piece and affecting our reward system, right? Like, I think there's so much more to look into that. I actually have a client or had a client who was put on. We think it was semaglutide and affected her depression to the point where people were asking her if she went off of her antidepressants. And now there are mixed reports on like whether, whether these drugs might increase the risk of suicide, I think like they were investigating at one point based on reports that were coming out of Europe. And then there was like another paper that came out that was like, no, like these drugs aren't directly linked to increased risk of suicide. So there's definitely... Mental health impacts, especially knowing that it directly acts on the brain, that I think might not have even come out yet again, because like the data that we have is so short term and also so focused on like a single outcome. So many unknowns.
1: And I think to wrap up this conversation, I'd like to get a little bit into the role of health and weight. I think that can bring a lot of Questions that people have about injections. Should I take them? Should I not take them? What do they mean for my recovery? I think just having a little talk about what weight and health really mean can help put that in perspective and maybe help people
2: find their way. So what role does weight play in health? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because I think the assumption that's been made is that like a higher weight leads to like worse health outcomes and we know that like, yes, like higher weights are correlated with, you know, certain health outcomes, like an increased risk of say diabetes or heart disease. And I think a lot of the clients that I work with, like they talk about, yeah, concern about like wanting to lose weight because they they might have say like a family history of some of these health outcomes. And that's kind of why one of the reasons why weight loss for them is so important but at the end of the day these relationships are just correlation and we like we can't would be unethical and very expensive to design a study to try to prove that like higher weight causes these health outcomes what we do know though is that exposure to weight stigma is an independent risk factor for a lot of these health outcomes as well. And like when you're higher weight, you are also like at a higher risk of being exposed to weight stigma. And so, and another thing is that like weight cycling, which is when you like lose weight and regain it and lose weight again, that is also independently linked to like an increased risk of heart disease. So we really don't know, right? Like, Is it the higher, is it the higher weight itself? Probably not as much, especially when we consider that like weight stigma and weight cycling are also like independent risk factors for these things. And higher weight people also tend to be exposed to more weight stigma and also tend to have a history of weight cycling and disordered eating. So it's not... A direct relationship between weight and health, like there are so many other things that are coming in. And I, and, you know, especially when we think about weight cycling, which is inevitable, if you try to lose weight, just because of our body's like set point range and desire to like, stay within the same weight range, um, trying to lose weight is probably worse for your health than looking at other areas of your health beyond weight
1: can someone in eating disorder recovery pursue intentional weight loss do those things work together?
2: Um, I think like my answer would probably be the same as like um, as for like you know whether someone could be on Glp ones and be in recovery like I think, In the vast majority of cases, like, of course not, right? Because, like, pursuing intentional weight loss often reinforces those same things that are like reinforces the eating disorder or the eating disorder thoughts and beliefs and behaviors. And also, There are lots of reasons why someone eating disorder recovery wants to slash has to pursue weight loss, right? Like one of the things that I, that I see a lot, my colleagues and I see a lot in our practices is like BMI cutoffs for being able to access um, gender affirming surgeries or being able to access fertility treatments or whatever, like medical treatments, like, unfortunately, until until doctors stop gatekeeping treatment or surgeries based on bmi we are going to to have clients who feel that they have to pursue intentional weight loss in order to get the treat like the treatment or the surgery that they need so i think i tr- i'm learning more about like a harm reduction sort of perspective from, like, I know Gloria Lucas and now Gona Positivity Pride has been doing a lot of work on this, and I've been learning a lot from her about this. And so, I don't think it's a black and white, like, yes, no. I think, yes, in probably the vast majority of cases, like, no, you can't pr- pursue intentional weight loss and recovery at the same time. And also, like, yeah, there are going to be cases where that is going to show up and we are going to need to figure out how to do it in the way that is going to cause the least harm to this person.
1: So say someone comes to you and it's not a situation where they're trying to get access to care and that's why they need to lose weight. But what if they just want to lose weight? They think it's better for their health. They think it makes them look better. And they're like, Vinci, Registered dietitian Vinci, I want to lose weight, but please help me. How do you handle those kind of situations?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, first I think it's exploring like, where is that desire to lose weight come from, or what do they think like weight loss is going to bring them? And then it's going to talk about like, well, what do we know about the science of weight loss? Right. Like we know that, yeah, the vast majority of weight loss intervention, including these medications, including bariatric surgery, people probably like reach their max weight loss at, you know, kind of the one year, maybe two year mark. And then they start regaining weight, even with bariatric surgery. And so, and so then it's going to be like, well, what are we going to do then? Like when, when you do start gaining weight, like what is that going to mean? So I think it's also, so it's sort of like letting them know, okay, like you're looking at a goal that does not have like, you're you're not going to get permanent outcomes from this. And so why are you going to lose weight? What are you going to, what do you hope weight loss is going to bring you? And is there some way that we can attain the goals that you are looking for without necessarily pursuing weight loss? Um, And I think like, and I think the piece that people don't know about weight loss as well is that it has the potential to cause harm, right? People think, oh, like 95% of diets fail. Like maybe I can be part of that 5%, like with the help of a dietitian, like the dietitian knows the secret to like being in, in that part, like in that 5%. And the reality is like, we don't, or at least I don't, like maybe I just missed that day of, of class. Like, I don't really know, but Weight loss is not neutral, right? Like it in pursuing intentional weight loss is not neutral. It increases your risk of disordered eating. It increases your risk of weight cycling and continues to uphold like weight stigma. And we just talked about how weight cycling, weight stigma, and disordered eating they all increase your risk of negative health outcomes. So if you are trying to lose weight because of your health, well, you're, you're also increasing your risk of doing things that can actually make your health worse. So, so is there a way to kind of get to this, like improve your health without pursuing weight loss, which has the side effects of all these potential harms? Yeah,
1: I and mean, we talk about that 95% and I totally get that. I've felt that too, like maybe I'll be the 5%. And then now like I'm in a stronger place of recovery and I look at that 5% and I'm like, how many of those... Have an eating disorder or struggling with disordered eating to maintain this weight loss or anyway, that's a different discussion for a different day. <laughs> but how can someone improve their health and well-being without focusing on weight loss?
2: I think it depends on, you know, like what their specific health goals are. I you know, like I think for for me as a dietitian, if we're focusing on food, for me, it's like, are you someone who is eating regularly throughout the day because it is nearly impossible to meet all our nutrition needs in just like one single meal? Like, even if it is a big meal, also like, are you choosing a like variety of foods sort of within your means? And, and then, you know, looking at things like movement and sleep and stress And I think keeping in mind that like health, I would even backtrack and be like, you know, how does this individual like define health and what does health mean to them? Because like health is really such like a nebulous word and it can mean different things to different people, right? And if we just sort of go with this idea that like, oh, like health means you are like free of like disease or whatever, like you know, what about people who have chronic conditions? Does that mean like health is never attainable for them? So I think first like backtracking and be like, how do you define health? And then sure, there are definitely like certain behaviors that can be health promoting. And I think we also need to keep in mind like of like the social determinants of health, like, you know, your access to healthcare or socioeconomic status, all those sorts of things. Those actually have a bigger impact on our health than, you know, like our individual behaviors themselves. And so, you know, like we sort of like see these like health and fitness gurus, or like a lot of, or some people even look towards like celebrities or whatever. And it's like they are there like because they don't have the same 24 hours that we do, right? Like they have the money and resources to access like, Healthcare, to access having a personal chef or a personal trainer, or all these things that we don't have access to, that's like, that actually affects their health more than like whatever workouts that they're doing or what, whatever food that they are eating.
1: Thank you for giving some context on the relationship between health and weight and diving deep into weight loss injections. Can you please let the listeners know how they can stay in touch with you?
2: Sure. So my website is VinciChoi.com. My name is not pronounced how it's spelled. So it's v-i-n-c-c-i-t-s-u-i.com. And I am on social media at vinchird. I'm probably on Instagram the most, but I'm also on Facebook and X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> I know, that's a
1: weird change, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. And how can people find your book, the mindful eating workbook?
2: Yeah, so the mindful eating workbook, I do sell it on my website and if you buy it off of my website, I sign every copy before I send it out. It's a one woman operation, but it is also available from like popular booksellers like Amazon or Barnes and Noble, Indigo in Canada, and if you are buying from like an independent bookseller, they can definitely get it in for you.
1: Well, thank you for being here, Vinci. Thank you so much for your time and all the incredible work that you've done to help people in recovery, struggling with, dis- with disordered eating and helping other dietitians. It's truly helping people live a better life. So thank you so much for all that and for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me.